Hey everybody, welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me, I'm Father John. I am the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. And this week I'm here with, well, actually I'm here with nobody. Uh, That's because what we thought we'd do this week, especially given all of the attention that has been Uh, garnered in the church with regards to the bishops' meetings these uh, past few days and all the discussion on the Eucharist and um, just whether or not there are any conditions for any of us to be receiving Jesus in uh, the Blessed Sacrament. I thought what we would do is we would share this week what I find to be one of the most extraordinary homilies I've ever heard in my life, given by uh, Bishop Daniel Flores, who's down in Texas now, but who once served here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, where we're stationed, as an auxiliary bishop. So Bishop Flores, for those of you who don't know him, I always kind of half-jokingly refer to as something of a hybrid between Frank Sinatra and Fulton Sheen. Bible in one hand uh, and a cigarette in the other, and uh, just an extraordinary preacher and a great gift to the church. So he gave this homily back in April of 2008 at a men's conference here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, and it's one of those homilies that I go back and listen to probably two or three times a year at least. And because we find it to be so good uh, and so spot on, and probably also because it's just so encouraging when we hear our shepherds talk strongly and pastorally and charitably about what it means to be a disciple and of uh, the challenging question from Jesus in John chapter 6, do you want to leave too? After so many walk away, after his teaching on the real presence, uh, that we just thought it would be a a great uh, homily to share with everybody this week. So enjoy, sit back, and let's just continue to pray for uh, our shepherds in a particular way for all those who teach the Catholic faith, whether they're priests or deacons or parents or catechists or lay leaders. Let's pray for ourselves that we would, uh, as we reflect upon these words of Jesus in John chapter 6 and then these uh, reflections from Bishop Flores, take to heart whether or not we believe Jesus or just a couple of things that Jesus said. In the meantime, do not be afraid God is with you, and you were born for this. Your Eminence, Cardinal Mida, fathers, deacons, brothers, here present this afternoon for this sixth annual, I believe, men's conference here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here, not only because we are in very august company, that company being the company of the Lord, here in the context of celebrating the great mystery of his body and blood. But in a particular way, I would say, because of the importance of this gospel, which by providence and by God's mercy is the text we are called, all of us, to think about a little bit this afternoon in the context of the Mass. I say it's a crucial gospel because that very important question that Jesus asks of his disciples at the conclusion of his discourse about the bread of life, the very important question that Jesus asks every one of us, and you, will you leave me too? 
when the saying is too hard. I'd like to offer a couple of reflections about this gospel and how it fits and how in a certain way it mirrors realities that we deal with all the time in our lives as men trying to lead Catholic lives, trying in some way to follow that path the Lord Jesus puts out in front of us. To do that, I'd like to begin with a little, little story, the true story. I grew up in Texas, as some of you may know, South Texas. Corpus Christi is on the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> nice warm town. In fact, when I, when I was growing up, the house we lived in was probably about 15 minutes from North Padre Island. And when we were small children, I have three brothers and a sister, my parents almost every weekend would take us to the island, we'd call it. A nice beach, salt water, and lots of waves. We would go very frequently, from, as, from the early, as early as I can remember, from before my memory even is able to click in, we'd go as a family and we'd go swimming in the island. I remember as a little boy being fairly timid of the water, but I always wanted to go a little further out and a little further out, and my mother and grandmother were always screaming at us, don't go out too far. No se vayan a hogar, they would say, you're going to drown. But you know, boys being who we are, we kind of moved a little further out, a little further out, and the water would get a little higher and a little higher, and the waves would come. And, but there was a limit when you're five or six years old to how far you can go out into the Gulf of Mexico. We used to say, just past, not past the first sandbar. And to be honest, the water spooked me because the waves could come unexpectedly. And we were warned constantly, beware of the undertow. I wasn't sure what an undertow was until the day I was out there and realized that the car was way, way far away and I didn't know how it got there because the water has a way of taking you. One of the most vivid memories I have of going to Padre Island was the fact that I wanted to go way deep, but I couldn't go way deep. This conference is about putting out into the deep, but I wanted to go way deep. And my, my father, he rented one of these inflatable rafts. And he said, son, I'll take you. You get on the raft. And he walked the raft, the raft deeper and deeper past the waves. You had to kind of hold on tight to it. I trusted him. He wouldn't let go. If he let go of that raft, I was in big trouble. But we went out further, and I watched the water get higher and higher on him, all the way to his shoulders. And I thought, if he loses sight of this raft, or if a wave comes and knocks me off. But here I was. I thought, we're way out here. It's one of the most happy memories I have, there being sort of held on this inflatable raft amidst the waters that were flowing over, but I was confident because I trusted my father. He wouldn't let go. Even in the heart of a little boy, you know that your, your father would rather go down himself than let you go. My mother was having a heart attack on the shore. Where does that kind of trust come from that I knew he wouldn't let go? I thought about that as an adult. These are the kind of things that we adults need to think about when we look back at those early memories. Where does that kind of trust come from? Well, I knew this was the man who 
put food on the table every day. This was the man who worked very long hours to make sure that we had what we needed to go to school. This was the man who had done so many things in so many ways to kind of inspire little by little that sense that a little boy has that he can trust his father. So I wasn't afraid at all, because he didn't let go. And we went back to the shore. What happens to us, I don't say maybe not necessarily all of us, but certainly a lot of us, I'll speak for myself, what happens to us when we become teenagers? If my father, when I was a little boy, told me something, I'd believe him because my father said it. Once he told me the story of the Alamo from the Mexican point of view, which was different than the version I heard in junior high. I believed him. Why did I believe him? Because my father said so. Because when you're little, you think more about the one who's speaking to you than you think about what he's saying. What happens to us, again, a lot of us anyway, I'll speak for myself, when we become teenagers. It very often happens, it certainly happens in our culture nowadays, it certainly happened in my life. There came a point, I'm not sure when it happened, 13, 14, 15, when my father would say things that I wasn't so sure anymore. I'd have to think about it. He'd say, I want you home by 11, and I wasn't so sure anymore. 12 o'clock seems a lot more reasonable to me, Dad. I said 11. Can't we talk about this? I said 11. I remember, and it often happens, and I think it happens in the lives of young people, not just of my generation, but of the generation that's living right now. Sometimes when we're teenagers, for example, we can have some particularly contentious realities with our fathers. It's probably natural. It happens. We start thinking for ourselves. We're supposed to. We grow up. We're supposed to kind of take in the world and think about it and, and, and so it's hard to kind of be a son and be an adult at the same time. But you do it. But I remember something happened. We had, we had some pretty fierce arguments. Because it happened at a certain point in the teenage years when I wasn't thinking about so much who was talking to me as I was thinking about what he was saying. I just think it's important to know that little change that goes on there when you're a little boy. It's not so much what he says, it's the fact that he says it. When we get older, we still respect the fact that he's the one who says it, but we think it awful hard about what he's saying. And sometimes we agree, and sometimes we don't. I think that attitude often, and quite in, 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 very, in, in very healthy and honest ways, continues with us throughout our adult years. We're supposed to be critical in the way we think and to kind of deal with realities that comes to us and not, and not just take everything just because, just because so-and-so said so. We do think about things. We have a certain sort of eye for kind of judging how it is that what this person says or that person says, whether it measures up to what we think. And I would think in our culture particularly, we're pretty good at being autonomous when it comes to judging things. We, we like making decisions one at a time about whether what so-and-so said is something I agree with. That's kind of the adult attitude. I mention that because we have to keep something very important in mind when it comes to the gospel and kind of discern it very carefully. 
Jesus praises the one who has a heart of a child. What does that mean? I leave that question, kind of drop it in the middle of this little sermon to go on. Because in the gospel scene today, Jesus is talking to the crowd, and they're very adult. They had heard he had said lots of things about the kingdom of God, about the mercy of his Father, about the reign of grace, and a lot of what they had heard from him they liked. Yeah, that's pretty good. Especially when he pokes the Pharisees. We like that stuff. Give us more of that. They're the guys in charge. We like it when somebody kind of gets... They were measuring him. He allowed himself to be measured. It's part of the humility of the Son of God. He allowed himself to be measured by sinful men. And they measured him. They took him one step at a time. And they liked a lot of what he said. But they were listening to what he said. They weren't so sure about who he was. And then Jesus comes out with the very important discourse in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, the Bread of Life discourse. I am the Bread of Life. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your fathers, they ate the manna in the desert, but they died. I am the bread of life. And the conclusion of that lengthy discourse in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, which I urge us all to meditate frequently, the Gospel tells us today, and many found his saying was too hard for them. And they said, how can this be? This is too hard for us. But they were really thinking, you're crazy. How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? For a pious Jew, it's unthinkable. There were several prescriptions of a law which prohibited even thinking such a thing. But Jesus knew very well what he was doing. He knew that unveiling the mystery of the Holy Eucharist in front of his disciples and in front of the crowds, it was the decisive point. Here you have to take your stand. Here you have to make a decision. Are you going to continue to judge everything I say one thing at a time and take the stuff you like and leave the stuff you don't like? Are you going to finally believe me because I say it? That's the question of this gospel. That's why he can turn to his disciples and say, and will you leave me too? And to his ever graceful credit, Simon Peter, speaking for us all, we pray, was able to say those words, but Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. That is Simon Peter, the adult, who's lived through that period of sort of questioning everything, recognizing that when confronted with the mystery of Jesus, he has to become a child again. He has to finally gain the humility to be able to say, Lord, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't know how this works, but I believe you. because you have the word of everlasting life. I say this is decisive in the history of the gospel and the history of a disciple because for a disciple, 
finally to become someone who believes Jesus is to take the step into the deep. Who finally says, Lord, it's not about what can fit into my head. Because a lot of what you say doesn't fit into my head. Which shouldn't surprise us since it comes down from heaven. It's not about what I can figure out. It's not about the parts of your gospel that I like and I can check off as the parts I take. And then these parts I won't take. It's about you. It's about the fact that you are the beloved son of the Father. I have come to believe that. And because I believe that, I believe you. There is an important step. At a certain point, we believe lots of Christian things. But to enter deeply into discipleship, to be a Christian believer, is to believe Jesus. Faith has to go to the person of Christ. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? Or do you keep checking off on your list what makes sense and what doesn't? That's the difference between faith and believing a lot of Christian things. Jesus comes, he says in this gospel, bringing words of spirit and truth and life. He comes to restore this kind of childlike confidence that we're supposed to have in the mystery of the Father and the mystery of Christ as the one who's sent by the Father. And the sign that Jesus gives that he is worthy of trust, even when it doesn't make sense. The sign that we can trust him that when we go out into the deep with him, he will not let go of that raft. The sign is exactly the sign he speaks of in this gospel. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. The sign of the Eucharist is the sign of the sacrificial food. This is the way you shall know that you can trust me, because I will give myself over for you. It's not just bread that comes down from heaven but bread that comes down as a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that it can bear forth much fruit. He shows that he is worthy of our complete confidence because he feeds us with himself. Nothing less than that. And that's how we regain this sense of confidence in the one who speaks to us. And it's not unlike the way all of us learned to trust our fathers. They're the ones who put the food on the table and make the sacrifice to make sure we have life. That is what Jesus does, only in a more dramatic way, so dramatic it's not possible for us to conceive the power of this mystery. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. And it is the sign for us that we must fundamentally and finally surrender to him and say, Lord, you are the one with everlasting life. And so from here on out, Lord, some of what you say I'll understand, some of what you say I won't. But all of what you say is what you say. And because you say it, 
I will follow. Because you have the words of everlasting life. Amen.